The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information on this or other KUCI programs, visit KUCI.org or KUCITalk.org. This is Heather McCoy's A face in the crowd. Whose face? I could be yours. Only on 88.9 FM Irvin. Irvine. Hello, you are listening to 88.9 KCI FM in Irvine. And uh, you're listening to my new show. I'm Heather McCoy. And this is a new show, uh, Heather McCoy's A Face in the Crowd. And uh, the new show is kind of an oral history project where... Um, I'm going to just roam around and find people to record and have them talk about anything from their lives to dreams and aspirations to what they're feeling politically to what kind of music and just kind of um, retarded pop culture stuff as well um, to kind of capture a time frame or a snapshot in time, I I should say. And um, today I'm actually starting in a very good location for such a show. I'm actually on a park bench in Sill Beach and uh, downtown Sill Beach. And uh, this park bench is located just off Main Street. And if you're going towards the beach, it's uh, actually, um, you just hook a right off of Main Street. And then uh, I'm in front of a red car, a Pacific Electric red car. And um, it's kind of an example of uh, some of the commons that we have lost over the years and uh, we just don't have a pu- very good public transportation system anymore, and we don't really have town squares anymore. When I was coming across the idea to do the show, it was always gr- like, great, it would be fun to talk to people, but the amount of space that you could actually just go up to people and talk to them and you won't get harassed by a rent-a-cop has just gone down. Um, if you really think about it, Orange County is more of a bedroom community, and most of the places we gather are private. Um, they may have the trappings of a very vibrant um, street scene, like the, I know downtown Disney tries to kind of imitate um, Santa Monica's Third Street Promenade, but the biggest difference between the Third Street Promenade and downtown Disney is um, if I start asking questions to tourists, uh, rent cops can throw me out of the area. So, um, so we're going to start very simply, I guess, and we're going to start in Sil Beach where, uh, I don't think we're going to run into any issues to talk to people and see what's on their minds. And, um, although we may try downtown Disney later, I don't know. I just know I'm afraid it's just going to be an ongoing relentless assault of fat jokes. But, uh, so that's the show. I hope you enjoy it for the spring quarter. And uh, we're going to stand up and, oh man, it's cold. And we're going to actually start seeing if we can find some people to talk to. And I'm Heather McCoy and I'm standing with... Arthur Arthur Nicewonger. Arthur Nicewonger. Nicewonger. Nicewonger? Yes. Holy moly. Yeah, it's a rather unusual name, but... Do you know the ethnic origin of that? Oh, maybe Switzerland or very close Germany. Oh, okay. Right in there somewhere. 
Oh, cool. So I interrupted him on Main Street, and he was listening to a book on tape. What are you, what are you listening to? Oh, a book by Ken Follett. Um, I've just been listening to several of his books. So you're just kind of walking the main drag and then just kind of meditating on the book? or no, I, I live across the highway, and I quite often walk to the end of the pier and back. And just to uh, pass time, I'll have a book on tape with me. Are you, do you collect quite a few, or how do you get them in your iPod? Or yeah, it's the, through the through the computer. It's you, I, you you buy the books, and you can get pretty everything pretty much up to date modern. Yeah, do you find that uh, moving online from more of a you know to quote an obnoxious business term brick and mortar stores? Do you find that you're kind of like, when you go to a bookstore, you might meet somebody and you might have a common interest if you're, like, looking at a certain section. Do you find, like, you we're kind of missing out on a human connection there? Um, to a degree, yeah. Uh, although I, I have macular degeneration, which simply means I don't see very well. Uh, I don't read anymore. I, re- I can't uh, because of my vision. I have a reading device, which enlarges print, but it's very inconvenient. So really, to go to a bookstore, uh, other than to buy a book, um, I prefer to do it online. It's somewhat less expensive for a book yeah. uh, to buy it online and uh, listen to it. So oh, it takes sorry. up takes up a lot less shelf space, also. That's what I'm finding, like, because, like, a few of the libraries that we have, they don't up-to-date all the time with the books. Like, I just find a shelf every time I move. I just find... Like it, I hate to call the word a book because it's a valuable piece of information in most cases. I hate to call the word a you know a book clutter, but it becomes clutter in your living room. A, a lot of them do. There are certain books that, of course, are treasures, but yeah, you, you, after a while, they take up a lot of space. So, what what books really like uh, are are you interested in? What do you consider like something that you always come back to? Oh, some Steinbeck stuff, um, and any number of, of authors. Uh, I recently had listened to The Count of Monte Cristo again, and j- just books like that. I mean, a good book is like a pretty good movie. Once you finish it, you don't mind going over it again. Oh, definitely. One of my favorite books is Fear and the Loathing in Las Vegas by Hunter S. Thompson. And every time I come across certain pages, I just have to reread it because the sentence structure is just so funny. And just the idea that he's trying to get across is just so amazingly funny that I just have to reread it. And I love rereading books more so than movies. Like, I would say my DVD collection kind of is even worse than the book collection because that just kind of, once you see a movie, you're good for about a year. Well, yeah, that's for sure. Uh, the mark of a good book, I think, is uh, when you hate to finish it. As you draw down to the last chapter or two, it, I noticed uh, I, uh, I'll tend to set the book down when I have time to when I still have time to finish it at that setting. But I think I just want to stretch it out a little longer. Yeah, and I find the same thing happening with book authors. Like, for example, one of my favorite authors is Matt Taibbi, and so I haven't bought his new book because. That's his newest one, and I know that it might be a little bit wild before I get to read the next one. Yeah, I, I understand that. So with the literature background that you're so involved with, do you, do, do you uh, 
Do you have? Did you get an English major in college? No, I'm just reading for enjoyment. My college was rather limited after I got out of the military. I went to school, college for two years at night, uh, and then to work, of course, and never completed college. But I re- read. I've always read for pleasure. Did you always feel like you were missing out on college, or did you have anxiety anxiety about going into the workforce without a complete four-year degree? I think in those days, it, going to college was not that important nor necessary. Uh, some of my friends stayed. I went immediately in the service out of high school. Um, at that time, the Korean situation was going but there was plenty of opportunity, uh, college education, although I, I do believe in those days you got a better education. I, I know of my friends that went to college, uh, some to private, some to UCLA here. Th- these would have been people I went to high school with. They generally graduated in four years, with, and they mostly had part-time jobs, and um, they studied. There wasn't the... Um, variety of majors around that there are today. I think the, the, the majors in those days, the studies were more directed to um, potential career income type thing. But no, I never considered it uh, a drawback. Uh, it, uh, I've had the pleasure of uh, working for no one for the last 45 years other than myself, which means... Um, I could work as many days a week as I wanted to, and I didn't have to quit after eight hours. And I could, uh, if, if things went well, I could quit working and not work and go enjoy myself for periods of time. But no, it was, it, 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 it was not a drawback at all to not go to college. Yeah, I think the major thing that, I think it would shock you that when I went to high school, we would get extra credit in science of all classes. You know, that's a pretty hard class for most people. We would actually get extra credit for attending our high school football games. Well, see, that's interesting. Um, Yeah, you know, when I went went to high school, like, geometry was tough. But, um, again, it, it... Getting and I, I'm fairly convinced that I went to, to high school here in Southern California. I, I'm convinced I came out of high school with a substantially better education than a lot of young people have when they complete four years of college. Um, I, I don't know. I can't prove it, but I think my life experience demonstrates it. A lot of people getting out of college today, they have very high levels of expectation. Um, we, we did not have high levels of expectation. We didn't think work was going to be easy. Uh, we didn't think we had to get a job that we liked. Um, we just thought, you know, we had to go out and make our way, and we did. Do you think some of the unreasonable expectations might be built on what most of the baby boomers that graduated from college and what they were to, to achieve in their careers? And uh, just speaking as a kid of the baby boomers I experienced the last the things that are more relative relative to me were the last like uh, when my dad was about 13 years seniority at McDonnell Douglas and that's when things were going really well and so I I didn't see the very first when he graduated and mom and him were struggling because I was still an infant and so a lot of people's you know memories of their parents if they have a college education I would think would be 
when, when they're a little bit more established and then they just get unreasonable expectations from that? Do you think that could be the case? Uh, I don't know. Um, I think more, see, in my case, my parents were, were Great Depression people, um, and I was born in the midst of the Great Depression. I was born in 1933. Uh, we were not poor. I don't. The, the, the West Coast here didn't have the, have the devastation financially of the Midwest and, and back East, but um, neither of my parents, of course, went to college. I was going to go to college. Uh, unfortunately, both of my parents died just as I was entering high school. And so I lost the drive to do that, uh, and, and the Korean situation was going, and I was draftable. Yeah, oh, I was meaning to ask you about that, actually. Um, I was just curious, what branch did you serve in, and how long were you there? Oh, I was in the Air Force for four years. Um, but I think the difference between my generation... And then the baby boomers generation, uh, you know, you've often heard the the reference to being the best generation. Yeah. Those that, uh, you know, people who were poor didn't know they were poor. World War II came along, and a lot of people went to World War II. They were exposed to the world. They came back, went to college on their GI Bill. Without World War II, they never would have gone to college. They never would have really come to understand what they were missing. They were living in small town, what we now call flyover country. So they came back and they uh, had a little more serious outlook uh, going to college. They went to college and um, they were the ones that came along and had it. They had it tough, um, but they didn't know it. If they really worked their fannies off they could have an automobile and they could have some pretty good things but they worked pretty hard for for it and uh although at the time i'm not saying they complained about it they just they went to work and i think what they really kind of wanted to do was make it easier than uh, they easier for their children than uh, it was on them because i think they began to realize that gee how tough i had it compared to how tough my kids have it and so they started providing their children with uh, automobiles, better automobiles, uh, and many things that they didn't have uh, just because they wanted to give their kids a good life. So, yeah, yeah I think the, the kids, um, contemporary youngsters, they come from a little different background than my generation did. Yeah, I, I was just kind of curious, like, um, do you see a problem with today as far as college education? The uh, the GI Bill paid for a lot of people's college, and then one of the things I think that my generation has an issue with is, like, a lot of people, when they graduate college, the uh, tuition's gone up so much that they're out in debt, basically, by the time they get out, so they can't, uh, even if they're a business whiz, they can't really go out and form their own company because they've got to start paying back, you know, the bank. I, I I think this is tantamount to being a crime that youngsters get out of school. Not I mean, if they if they're fortunate enough to be able to go to medical school, that's one thing. But coming out of college with a fifty, sixty, eighty thousand dollar debt on your it, it's it's killing. It's uh, it's devastating. I went on the GI Bill on a part time basis at night. I went to school at night, and in, in it took me two years to get an AA, an Associate of Arts. This was a 60-unit program. 
and I was getting, I think, $120 at the time. Uh, and I worked, I had a job. I was working six days a week as well and going to school at night. But, yeah, I, I think a lot of young people, I think too many people go to college these days. Uh, I, I think um, another severe problem, uh, worse than the college situation, are the jobs, the good jobs, uh, aren't available that, that we used to have. You mentioned your dad worked for um, the... Uh, McDonnell the Douglas. Okay. okay. Well, he probably got hit in um, the late 80s uh, when the Russian the, when the Russians came apart and they tore down the Berlin Wall and everybody thought how wonderful it was. Well, on the West Coast, the, the unanticipated... Uh, result of that was all of a sudden the defense industry all but shut down and he probably was affected by that a lot of guys that had good jobs engineers uh neat jobs with north american mcdonald douglas and others they, they, their jobs went away well the nice thing that kind of patted my dad from that was um it was a tough time in the early 90s because of that uh the so-called peace dividend i think you're referring to um he was in the rocket launches, and so that's when kind of like satellite TV kind of started. And so that he was working on Delta II, so he was able to pat himself from he's not – it wasn't completely a hard military program he was working on. Yeah, that, that's understandable, but, but, but a, a lot of them were yeah. uh, working in, in, in areas where, you know, they, their, their jobs were gone. The, the thing that I can't figure out is it seems like there's not – it seems like Southern California and specifically Orange County kind of duplicates itself. So, like, you wonder where, like, the the major sources of income are coming from because you have houses and then you have a major shopping center and then you have houses and you have a few um, strip malls and you have houses and you don't see where... You, there's no place where you can point to, really, besides, you know, some areas in Irvine with law offices that you can point to and go, this is where wealth is being created. Well, that's, yeah... That's that's where wealth is created, but when you mention these little strip malls and these little shopping centers and so forth, that's where uh, commerce is generated. That yeah. that's where uh, um, you know people are spending money, and and that spending money creates jobs, and um, it it creates a way of life for many 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 people. And when I say what's you know what's your expectation? My expectation as a young man, I guess, was someday to have a house that was paid for and have an automobile or maybe two in the family. Uh, of course, television wasn't an issue, yeah. hardly. Uh, the computer was, nobody, nobody had the, any idea of what a computer could do or would be. And, you know, there isn't a day goes by when there isn't a piece of equipment that's, that's brand new it becomes on the shelf and, and and out of use because something else has come along yeah i'm currently drooling over the prospect of usb3 it will make transferring data files like large audio files really fast between your portable hard drive and your computer um i would say i've never really asked this question even to my grandparents would be like, um, when you look back at your life, are you kind of, like, excited at some of the things you did? Like, oh, my God, I did that? Yeah, I am. I was in the building industry, and I can, I can drive by or I could take you by houses that I built, and I can say, I built that 
house and it's been lived in for 40 years by different families and it's still being lived in and it's uh, probably going to be lived in for a long time. And, and not only did I make a pretty good living for myself, but other people made a pretty good living also. Uh, I made payroll. I paid people, carpenters, concrete guys, and so forth. So I can look at a lot of things that I did that were really of value because they're still there and they're still just, just as valuable as they were the day I walked off the job and finished it. So, yeah, I, I get a lot of satisfaction over that. Raised a couple, three kids. They, they're all doing well. Uh, two of them graduated college. One went to a private the other uh, went to Cal State Long Beach here. The third didn't complete college. He's an artist, um, and they're 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 all self-sufficient. They don't they don't need my help, and uh, not that I would wouldn't give it to them, but it's kind of nice to know that uh, they're doing fine. Yeah, I can definitely see where it's kind of a mission accomplished, especially uh, when your kids are kind of often on their own, because sometimes it's kind of hard to make that jump start into adulthood. So that's pretty cool. I'm going to end with this question is, do you have any goals and aspirations for the rest of your time here? Not really. Not really. To, to, to get along and um, contribute still. Uh, I'm very concerned about the economy right now. I, I have, I think, a full understanding of what caused this chasm we're in as far as the subprime market, what it did to our housing industry, the fact that people were allowed to borrow money, get into debt, which there was no way they could cover. And, and right now there are many, many people that live in houses. Uh, they can't afford, but they're holding on. They can't sell them because I think the term is they're upside down. Uh, I don't know how that's going to result. It's result. The international scene, uh, who knows? I mean, who knows what's going to happen there? The term upside down seems really strange to me because um, I've bought things on eBay that I've overpaid for, but um, I still own them. And I don't see if, even if you, even if your house is $300,000 less than what you paid, I don't know, you, yeah, you're going to have a bigger payment than if you would have bought it now, but I don't see why being upside down is so terrible. Well, it's not unless you want to sell your house. Um... Most of the time, once you get a house, the money that you need to buy your next house comes from your old house. And this is Econ 101, I think. But um, as, as the cost of housing has gone up, uh, the first house I ever bought, I paid $18,000 for. Right now, it probably would sell for $300,000. Um, so I have a good friend who just sold his house over here in Belmont Shore, just off 2nd Street. And he, a pretty nice place, and he moved out to Upland. And we were talking, and he said, yeah, well, you know, I could have sold my house for about a million, too. But I was only get, he only got a little under, uh, a little under 900000 for it. And he was saying, so, you know, I lost money on it. I said, well, what would you pay for it, John? And he told me, and, you know, he paid a couple of hundred thousand dollars for it when he bought it. So I said, okay, you, you bought out in Upland. His business is out that way. He, he, the, and I said, he, he bought into a condominium on a golf course. And I asked him what he paid for it. And, he, and he, you know, he told me. And, we were, and I said, well, 
how much under market was it? He said, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, what, what was the high point in the market? He said, well, the, the, it, it had sold, and he had documentation to show that it had sold for about 250000 more than he paid for it. That owner lost it through foreclosure. And he ended up getting it for he did. And so, and, but I said, John, I said, don't you understand? You didn't lose anything at all. You got a couple of hundred thousand less than you think you should have got. And, I, and, and you paid a little, you paid a couple of hundred thousand dollars less. He said, you know, I never thought of it that way. Thanks a lot. Well, that's fine. I own a house. And if I want to get into a different house, I can sell my house and I can get a different house. I can, if, I, if I go out of state, I can get a hell of a house. If I stay here in Seal Beach, I can get something equal, maybe a little better, maybe not. But I, I, I would ask you, do you, know, do you understand what it's going to take for you to buy a house? I don't even, that's not even in my plans at this point. Okay, you're young. Maybe it may someday. You mentioned buying things on eBay uh, that don't have value anymore. Well, almost everything you buy ultimately doesn't have value. Automobiles, yeah. television sets, computers... Uh, everything, everything you buy immediately loses value. A house really is one of the few things that's, uh, when you get done with it, it's pretty easy to get rid of. And, and uh, that's the value of a house, which yeah. there's, there's, there's nothing that I can think of. Uh, because as you pay for it, you get to use it historically. So that, that's, that's a problem. I guess, okay, this is definitely the last question. So the last question I have would be, um, would, would, since you kind of grew up somewhat in the 1930s, what's the biggest difference between this and the Great Depression? Well, the Great that, the 30s, the Great Depression ran from the late, the late 29, the big crash, and, and actually it took World War II to bring us out of that depression. That's what people put people back to work. And as, and as I said my family really wasn't affected by the Great Depression. I, I remember this. Now, again, I was born in 1933. And so my, my years where I really began to be aware of things would be in, say, the 40s. But my, my mom and dad bought a new car in 1937. They bought a Willys. So, I mean, that demonstrates that, you know, during the Great Depression, and that was, that was in the Great Depression, yeah. there are a lot of people that, you know, they weren't destitute. But the difference between now and then, uh, then people got along with each other. They entertained each other. Uh, they didn't go out to dinner. They didn't have money to buy things. But they had a pretty good time. And, and I think anybody that you talk to out of that era, they they got along and they didn't have a lot of complaints. Not as many, I think, as people have today. Life's a great deal more complicated. I have a question for you. Yeah. What is this, uh, what's your reason for this interview? Well, I host a new public affairs show on 88.9 KCI FM in Irvine, and it's called A Face in the Crowd, and it's, if that if that title rings familiar to you, it's uh, taken from a film that was Andy Griffith's first starring role. Oh, oh yeah, and she, sure. he's the, um, uh, I want to stop the religious guy, but he, Close. He's a guitar player. Yes, he's a guitar player. What was his name? Uh, Lonesome Roads. Yeah, Lonesome Roads. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that's, see, that's one of the movies that, uh, you, you know, you like to see about every second or third year. Actually, I just saw it a few nights ago. Like, I've revisited it every three months. So, 
evil. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to discover Lonesome Roads walking the, the uh, streets of Sail Beach, but I'm definitely taking Patricia Neal's role in this. See, uh, yeah, that's kind of like Elmer Gantry, but you couldn't help but like Elmer. Yeah. Uh, he, he was a pretty likable guy, but Lonesome Roads was, he was evil. Yeah, he was evil. Um, <laughs> I, that, like, I don't know, I don't know if you've seen it recently, but, like, after all of his womanizing, he went, when he went off to Arkansas to judge the the um baton twirling contest you're like oh dear god no yeah yeah yeah. oh yeah so it's great talking to you what are you going to do with your rest of your afternoon go on home okay it's time to check in see what's going on cool well it was great to meet you and um we're going to continue walking the street in Sil beach i think we've got about five minutes left so we'll see how it goes nice talking to you have a great afternoon all right Oh, wow, that was pretty cool. Um, so I'm walking uh, towards the beach again, and what's kind of weird about Sil Beach is, like, this place is always packed, and um, I don't know if uh, people are taking warning to the nuclear mushroom cloud or whatever, and then they're afraid to touch air, but uh, this is as empty as I have ever seen Sil Beach. So to find one person is pretty awesome. Um, one of the other concerns I've had about the show was I was always afraid that... Um, in this world where people are connected to everything all the time, uh, they're not really looking around at their surroundings. One of my favorite stories to tell about KUCI is um, Mike Boyle, our old engineer, made a Dryertron 3000, and um, this dryer would go around Ring Road, and then all the kids around UCI would just text and mess around, and um, they were not watching a dryer on wheels with audio equipment um, <laughs> going right by them. So people really don't pay attention to their surroundings much. And I'm Heather McCoy, and I am signing out from Sil Beach. This is kind of a dead day, so I'm going to try to come here on a sunnier day where the weather is not so dark and cold and freezing. And uh, I hope you're having a great evening tonight on Wednesday night, and stay tuned for... Uh, Limbaugh for Liberals on 88.9 KCI FM in Irvine.